Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 25, the Diamond Anniversary Edition. Of the Sco Show. My name is Mark Schofield here in the big chair for Tuesday. Yes, Tuesday, October 8th, 2019. It's a quick week. It's a short week. It's a condensed week. So we're bumping everything up a day here at the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network. So you're going to hear from me today and on Wednesday and then sometime Thursday night as well. So busy week for everybody. That's what we do on short weeks. But excited to be here as always. This show probably a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation. Today's show, another big one, Taylor Kyle's making a return. As always, a listener favorite. I'm going to talk to him a little bit about the Washington game, some expectations for Thursday night as well as some of your great questions for him. Also, I'm going to talk about some of the news. Ben Watson, no longer New England Patriot. What does that mean for this offense? But before we do anything, a reminder. Please do follow along with the hijinks at Mark Schoolfield on Twitter. Check out the work of places like InsideThePylon.com, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, Pro Football Weekly. And yes, that trilogy of SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and Pat's Pulpit. You might want to check out Big Blue View today. Got a piece on Daniel Jones. I'll have some more on Daniel Jones over at the pulpit later this week. Now, as I mentioned at the start, look, Benjamin Watson no longer a member of the New England Patriots. Team decided not to sort of pick up his contract here, not to bring him back off of suspension and add him to the active roster. And I, I know there are sort of some rumblings about effort or things like that. Maybe Watson seems to be, again, there's that old Bill Parcells line, if a player is already thinking about retirement, he's got sort of like one foot out the door, he's done, he's gone. You know, maybe that's something that's at play, although Watson says he still wants to play in the league. But remember, he was suspended because... When he thought he was done, took a banned or not approved substance. So that's one angle here. But I want to focus on the angle of Matt Lacoste and Ryan Izzo. And as we saw down in Washington this past weekend, Patriots were much more comfortable getting those two tight ends involved in the passing game. They were effective blockers as well. We're going to talk a little bit about that with Taylor Kyles here in a moment. But I think that this is more of a vote of confidence in these two tight ends than perhaps anything else. Now, it is interesting, Belichick's sort of stated reason for not adding Watson was we didn't have a roster spot for him. And as Dave Archibald pointed out very astutely, 
in the Scotia Slack channel. Look, you still got Cody Kessler on the roster. You still have Jordan Richards on the roster, who Richards did obviously play a role on special teams. That was the majority, if not all, of his snaps against Washington were on special teams. So there was probably a way to create a roster spot. So I wouldn't read too much into that angle. I think it's more of a, we're now confident in our guys. And so that's a good thing to see going forward. I also wanted to take a few moments here and talk about sacks. The four sacks of Tom Brady from Sunday. I went back, as we do, Monday night into Tuesday morning. Get the opportunity to see the coaches film and sort of break down how things happen and pick up some of the things that you don't see on the broadcast angle. So I wanted to sort of quickly run through the four sacks because there are different reasons why Brady gets sacked four times on Sunday. And it's not all offensive line. Sometimes there are coverage sacks and coverage things that come into play. Sometimes you actually get the play blocked up pretty well, but for one reason or another, the quarterback gets pressured. And that's kind of what happened on the first one, which comes to us on a third and 10 at the 11.02 mark of the first quarter. Patriots come out in their 20 package, that pony package with Brady in the shotgun, Brandon Bolden to the left of Tom Brady, James White to the right of Tom Brady. You've got Philip Dorsett split to the left, and you've got a slot look to the right with Edelman in the inside and Gordon on the outside. And Washington shows Brady two high safeties before the snap. Patriots run something we can sort of call 5-2-5, which is a staple of many offenses. You've got out routes on the outside receivers, and you've got that crossing route, slant, deep slant kind of route from Julian Edelman on the inside. Brandon Bolden has a free release to the left flat. James White is going to chip on the right side and then release to the flat as well. So it's basically a five-man protection with a chip and release from one running back. Again, Bolden with a free release. Now, I said that Washington shows Brady two high safeties before the snap, but they drop down into what we can term a double robber because one of the underneath defenders stays in an underneath zone. One of the safeties comes down as well, and they're just robbing routes, breaking to the inside. The other underneath defenders play man, and one safety drops high. So you get like a one-high double robber look. And if you think back to the AFC Championship game, think about the overtime drive and the throw to Gronkowski on the slant. That last third and long conversion. If you remember that play, Kansas City brought a safety down to rob that inside crossing route from Edelman. Teams were always afraid of that. That's one of their bread and butters, particularly on third and long, to get Edelman working underneath. Because you expect third and long, you might see some kind of zone coverage. Get that working open between the throwing lanes of the underneath defenders in front of the safeties. So you have this one high double robber that takes that route away where Brady wants to go to the ball. You've got man coverage on the outside routes, the outside out routes. And it's just a three-man rush. And you've got two guys rushing to the right side. And you have four to block because Karras fans to the right here. Because they show you two guys on the line of scrimmage to the right side pre-snap. So Karras fans to the right along with right guard Shaq Mason, right tackle Marcus Cannon. You get the chip on the outside from James White before he releases. So you've got two on ones on both of the two guys rushing on the right. You've got both of those guys in in essence doubled, and you've got a two-on-one backside. You should have this blocked up. Now what sort of happens here is, one, you've got eight in coverage, so Brady's going to have to take some time to find where to go with the football. Again, that double robber look takes away the crossing route. But the bad thing that happens here, and it's it's sad in a way because 
someone's effort almost works against them. Ted Karras fans to the right. The defensive tackle working against Shaq Mason starts to get a bit of an advantage, starts to get a bit of a push. So Cannon, as offensive linemen are want to do, he finds work. And he helps on this defensive tackle and levels him. But the problem is, on the outside, the defender who's getting chipped by White, he's stood up. He sees Cannon level this guy on the inside, which creates an opportunity. I mean, excuse me, he sees Karras level this guy on the inside, so it creates an opportunity. So he loops to the inside, and as Karras is washing out this defensive tackle, it, it parts the sea, so to speak. Defender loops to the inside. Now he's in Brady's face. Brady tries to flush to the right, and by this time, the defender who was popped by Karras, he's now in an advantageous position as well because Karras kind of pops him to the outside. He staggers up. Brady's flushing his way. Now he's suddenly handed a sack on a plate, and those two defenders, the one coming inside and the guy that gets driven to the outside, split the sack. So that's a set of circumstances where Karras is doing the right thing and it kind of bites the Patriots on it. So that's that sack. Second one comes, again, first quarter, first and 10 at the 6-11 mark. Patriots are in 21 offensive personnel with Jakob Johnson in the wing to the left. You've got Matt Lacoste split out wide to the left. Sonny Michelle in the backfield. Edelman a slot to the right. Gordon split out wide to the right. Now, Edelman and Gordon run a scissors concept in New England's Patriot, in New England's playbook, which is a post route from the outside and a bow, which is a deep out route where you angle inside and then break to the out. So that's scissors. Backside, Lacoste on a dig. Johnson has a free release to the flat. Sony Michelle in the backfield. Brady in the gun. Michelle chips on the right edge, releases to the flat. Washington shows too high. They stay in too high. It's straight cover two. There's an opportunity probably to throw the dig to Lacoste against the underneath defenders. Maybe that scissors route. The bow to Edelman, that might be there too. But Newhouse just gets beaten off the edge. Jonathan Allen beats Newhouse with an inside move. He gets upfield. Newhouse perhaps, and offensive linemen gurus might have more insight on this, but it looks to me like Newhouse sort of overreacts to the outside, gets his momentum going deep into the pocket. Allen uses that against him. Gets his hands into his upfield shoulder, which would be Newhouse's right shoulder as he's dropping back laterally into the pocket, sort of shuffling back in his kick step. Gets into that right upfield shoulder, uses that as sort of a vocal of sorts to then knife inside underneath him and get to Brady quickly. It's just good technique from Jonathan Allen using the momentum of the left tackle against him. Another three-man rush, they get pressure, they get to Brady. So those are the first two sacks. Both of them come off of three-man pressure schemes. Third sack, it's second quarter, first and 10 at the 8-12 mark. It's another three-man situation. Now, Washington does something a little bit different here. I'm reading this as a man-match zone coverage here where they're using some man principles underneath. Patriots come out in 11 offensive personnel. They got Gordon with a tight split to the left. Lacoste in a wing to the right. Edelman in the middle of the trips alignment. Actually, it's 21 personnel. My bad. And then Johnson is split out wide to the right. 
Michelle in the backfield to the left of Brady, who's in the gun. They run stick concept to the right that trips. Johnson on the outside runs the go. Edelman in the middle trips receiver runs the out. Lacoste the stick route, which again, a quick out to the right. Gordon from that tight split on the left runs a curl, bend into the inside, and Michelle just basically runs a swing route, which can turn into a wheel if he keeps it vertically. The guys underneath sort of play man principles, and guys deep play coverage principles, zone principles. Everything's covered. Brady opens to the stick. Both of those routes are covered. The two stick routes, the two out routes to Edelman and Lacoste, those are covered by the underneath defenders who are, again, playing man principles. He wants to come back to the left, but the problem is Marcus Cannon's in his lap. I talked about this during the Glorious Victory Show. I thought it was Mason. I don't know why. I think the announcers might have said Mason or whatever, but it was Cannon who just gets driven back into Brady's lap, and he doesn't have a chance. He might not have had a chance anyway. Washington had this play covered pretty well with the sort of man-match coverage they were using on this play. So that's the third sack. Just Marcus Cannon gets beat. Final sack, third quarter, third and four, 207 mark. This is another pattern match type of coverage here from Washington. They've got zone principles underneath, more man principles on the outside. Patriots are in 11 personnel, empty. James White split wide to the left. Josh Gordon in a win. We're going to talk about him in a second. To the left. Lacoste in a win to the right. Edelman in the middle. Jacoby Myers to the outside. White comes in motion towards the football. Just short motion and then runs a bow that deep out route, bending inside and working to the outside. Jacoby Myers runs the same thing on the outside. Edelman from the middle of that trips look runs a deep in. Lacoste, free release. No blocking responsibility to the flat. Josh Gordon, wanted to highlight this. I don't know if anybody noticed this. If you were wondering about Josh Gordon buying in, you probably shouldn't be wondering about that anymore. But if any of you had a sliver of a doubt as to Josh Gordon buying in, you know what he does on this play? He chips. Josh Gordon, your wide receiver, chipping on a defensive end and then releasing to the flat. That blew my mind when I saw that. But that's what he does. He chips and releases to the flat on third and four. Yeah. So Brady is going to have a chance here to throw this deep middle in cut to Edelman. Why? The receiver covering him falls down. The problem? Washington uses a tech stunt. This is the only time they got to Brady where they rushed four. And to the left side of the offense, they use that tech stunt, tech stunt where the outside defensive end comes inside and then the tackle loops behind him to the outside. Newhouse, the left tackle, initially gets into that outside defensive end, helps ride him inside to Joe Tooney. But as the looper comes around, Newhouse is late to peel off of it and gets beaten to the outside. He tries to recover, but he doesn't have the angle. He comes off of it late, so he loses the leverage angle advantage. And that rusher gets into Brady. He just loses, Newhouse does, around the arc. So again, he's trying to do the right thing. He's helping Pass off the initial stunt. He's just a little bit late to peel off of it. And he gets beaten to the outside. So those were the four sacks that New England gave up on Wednesday. Different reasoning. Sometimes offensive linemen doing the right thing or even going above and beyond in the case of Karras. But sometimes it backfires. So I know there was some concerns about the offensive line and protecting Brady. But 
Washington did some things too. They had some stunts. They used some different coverage schemes. They took some things away. They got home with three. When you're getting home with three as a defense, it's going to be hard for the offense to execute on those plays. And so I just wanted to run through those. Thought it would be interesting. Maybe you thought it was boring. But again, we do some nerdy football stuff here at the Scope Show. We're going to do more of it because we're going to be joined by one of our listeners' favorite guests, Taylor Kyles from Pat's Pulpit. Joins me next for some quality time here on episode 25 of the Scope Show. This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hit Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. And welcome back to episode 25, the diamond installment of the SCO Show here on Pat's Pulpit and probably a part of the SB Nation podcast network. And we're going to get to quality time in a second. I do sort of want to throw out here, we are on the verge of Yom Kippur. Obviously, it starts at sundown on Tuesday, runs through sundown on Wednesday. And I do want to wish our Jewish listeners an easy fast as they head into the new year. But now it's time for quality time. And he is one of my listeners' favorite guests on this show. He's always requested. I know they're excited to have him back. He's the one and only Taylor Kyles, who also covers the Patriots for Pat's Pulpit. Taylor, buddy, welcome back to the show. You're almost a co-host at this point. Hey, man, that's an honor to be on as much as I am. I love listening to the show, so it's always fun to be on for real. And also, uh, happy Yom Kippur to everybody celebrating out there. Um, but yeah, man, happy to be back. And Taylor, I know you've rewatched this game a couple of times now, maybe even more than that. So just give me first at the outset your biggest takeaway for both sides of the ball this game against Washington. I guess the biggest takeaway is that the uh, Sony Michelle uh, haters, for lack of a better word, can you know, take a week off because he was really good this week. And I think Josh McDaniels is starting to find the best way to integrate him into the offense, which is a lot of gap runs and then some split zone as well. Um, so I, I think that's really the biggest takeaway. Sony finally having his breakout game of the season. He looks great when the offense opened holes for him. Uh, he was reading his keys well. He was improvising when he needed to. And, you know, he ran through guys. He was making people miss. Loved him in the receiving game as well. I'm not sure how much we're going to see of that in the future because I feel like that was more a function of Burkhead being inactive. But, I mean, I loved seeing him get involved in the past game and seeing him run with some holes finally. So that was my biggest takeaway. Sony Michelle, good running back. <laughs> what about a big takeaway on the defensive side of the ball? Defensive side of the ball is, man, this defensive line is so, so good. Well, everybody's good, obviously. But the wall that they put up when the Redskins tried to roam the ball on them, then the pass rush, I mean, the defense was excellent. Danny Shelton was killing it. He, they couldn't move him in the middle of the field. Lawrence Guy dominating his block like he is every week. So I guess the biggest takeaway for me on defense was just that uh, that front, uh, front five, four, you know, they wrote it all the time, but that defensive line did a really good job against Washington. 
Now, Taylor, you just mentioned Sonny Michelle, and he was kind of your biggest offensive takeaway. I was impressed with him as well. Now, you might be a little bit hesitant on this question, though. Do you think this is the start of different usage for him, a big turnaround for him? Or do you think if Burkett comes back, we're going to see him more as a traditional sort of running back bell cow type of guy that's going to be featured more in the run game? Well, I think it might be hard for McDaniels not to just try to integrate Sony into the passing game. You know, you saw him in the open field making guys miss. He looks really good, especially when you got to have corners and safeties try to tackle him. It's not an easy assignment. So I think, you know, getting him out in the flats and getting him the ball. Um, he also showed really good awareness. There was a play where Patriots went spread. What they did a lot in the beginning of the game was they used a lot of 21 personnel with uh, Jacob Johnson, the fullback, and then Sony, and then a tight end, which looks like a running formation, and all year it really has been. But it seemed like the Patriots really wanted to spread Washington out from their base defense and pick them apart. And there was one play in particular where Sony was really just running a hitch, and he was a checkdown option. And Brady didn't like the look that he had on defense at first. And Sony was covered, but he actually adjusted and went towards Brady to get himself open and made a couple guys miss after that. So hopefully we see a little bit more, but I still think he's going to be the bell cow guy. I think he's mostly going to be a running threat. And hopefully we're going to see more of him with the gap schemes because what he struggled in so far this season is that zone running game where they try to get him outside. I think if he's a lot better when he can follow a fullback or when he's got a designed hole to hit, and then you just kind of let him improvise from there. And uh, this isn't so much him, I think, but also the split zone running game was really nice where it's a lot of down blocks from the offensive lineman, and then the tight end comes from the opposite end of the formation, and he kind of gets the edge defender, and that creates an actual crease on the uh, backside. So hopefully you see a lot more of that for uh, Sony Michelle, getting him some runs where he's more comfortable. You know, you and I have talked a bit about the fullback, James Devlin. He's near and dear to both of our hearts. But you mentioned running behind a fullback. Jakob Johnson has really impressed me over these past two weeks in place of James Devlin. Do you share that? What are your thoughts about the international player and the new fullback? I'm a Jakob Johnson fan, and I think really all you need to know is, well, not all you need to know, obviously, but Belichick mentioned that he didn't even think that Jakob was going to make the team at all. And then he stuck onto the practice squad with a nice preseason and clearly had some really good practices that opened some eyes. And with the way he's been used, he's not quite as powerful as Devlin, but he's more than capable of taking on blocks and really popping guys and giving so many holes. And he's actually a little more I don't know, maybe athletic, maybe not be the best word, but he's a little looser um, in, uh, than Devlin is. So I think he kind of, it's not the same element of toughness that Devlin gives you. And I think part of that is just, you know, the Devlin persona. It's like everybody knows he's that, he's got the neck roll. He's an old school throwback kind of fullback. But Yakim is no slouch either. He's very strong. He's, uh, he's got nice hips, so he's got good mobility. And I think he's doing a really good job in terms of replacing Devlin. And they also seem very comfortable using him all over the formation. He played out wide. He was at H-back. He was in the backfield. So they really had him all over the place the way that we talked about a few weeks ago with Devlin, how they like to use him around to create mismatches. And an interesting wrinkle they actually used was, as I mentioned, there was a lot of 21 personnel then spreading out the um, Washington defense to begin the game in the first half. In the second half, after the Patriots really didn't try to run the ball that much, what they would do was they would start with Yakov outside, and a lot of the time Brady was in the shotgun, and then they would go under center, Yakov would come into the backfield, and they would have the two seconds where uh, the, the player who comes in motion has to be set, like it's one or two seconds, and then they'd run the ball to try to catch Washington off guard, and that's really where all the run success, run game success came from. So I think that Yakov is comfortable in the system. It's really good to see somebody who doesn't have a lot of playing experience in the NFL comfortable in a lot of different spots. So I'm, I'm excited about him. I'm, I'm glad to see, I'm excited to see what he does in the coming weeks. 
let me ask you this. I'm a big video game guy. Um, I play tons of games, Skyrim, Witcher 3, all that sort of stuff. And there's always like okay. sometimes when you create characters, you can add traits or you can level up traits and things like that. Is Josh mm-hmm. Gordon's stiff arm now the most leveled up trait amongst the Patriots wide receivers? I mean, it's hard. It's hard to argue with that, man. That was devastating. I think it was Quentin Dunbar who yeah. did that too. And the thing that's unfair is Josh Gordon has crazy long arms. So what makes it so hard is you saw Dunbar try to tackle him, and before he could even make contact, Gordon was already in his face mask. So, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty devastating move. I hope he breaks it out a little bit more. I mean, he does it plenty, but I want to see it at least twice a week. It's selfish, but, man, that was, that was a fun one to watch. Yeah, it's becoming so much fun to watch sort of Josh Gordon 2.0 from – the Flash Gordon days where he just beat you with speed to now he's more of a power guy. I wanted to ask you this. When I was rewatching the game, I saw in one of Brady Sacks, they had Gordon in the wing and he chipped a defensive end and released the flat. Did you see that? If so, what did you think of that? If not, if you're just hearing about this, what does that say to you about Josh Gordon? Yeah, they've actually been using Gordon on the wing a few times. They did it a couple weeks ago. Um, or I remember against the Jets, they used him a lot, kind of having him motion in and cracking guys in the running game. And I think that speaks to, I think Evan Lazar from CLNS pointed it out that, you know, with a big body like that, you can kind of use him as a pseudo H-back in a way where he can kind of get involved in the blocking game because he's just so big. He's almost 6'4", 220 pounds. He's a massive guy, easily the biggest uh, that the Patriots have on the active roster at the wide receiver position. So I, I think that's a role that we're going to see him sprinkled in every week a little bit because with that size, I mean, you want to make sure that you can maximize everyone's skill set, and that's definitely one that he brings to the table. He's not a true H-back or tight end, fullback kind of blocking position, so you know you may not see as many devastating hits or as many quite as effective blocks as you might see from someone who's typically in that position, but just with his size alone, he really can create some problems and help out in the blocking game. Taylor, let's talk about the defense for a minute. And I don't know about you, but I'm running out of things to say about this defense. It's just that good. What is there left to say about this defense right now? I really don't know. Honestly, I'm just waiting until – and this is nothing against them at all. I think if you you play who's in front of you, and if you have an opponent who's weak on offense, you make them look weak on offense. And they had the Sims run, obviously, that long touchdown run where it was a couple missed tackles by the McCordys. But other than that, they – shut down Redskins' offense pretty much. They've been dominant week in and week out. Yes, they've been playing some pretty weak offenses, but they're doing their job, and I can't wait to see them play against some more stiff competition so we can really get a more clear picture of where this defense is at. But even when you account for the level of competition, they are absolutely dominating pass rush. They're number one in every major uh, defensive category or, uh, statistical category. I think that really speaks for itself. You know, there's teams, there's good defenses that play poor teams, and sometimes they have a bad week, but this defense has yet to have a bad performance, and they deserve all the praise they're getting so far. You know, you mentioned the idea of playing stiff competition, and maybe on the whole, the offenses they've gone against haven't been great, but we did see a bit of a test this week. Terry McLaurin, I know he's coming back from an injury, but he's looked like a great wide receiver. Stephon Gilmore handled him pretty well. What were your takeaways from watching that matchup, both during the game and then rewatching it? Yeah, during the live game, I didn't really think that Gilmore was struggling per se because he was playing a lot of off coverage against McLaurin when the Patriots were playing a lot of cover three, which is really just making sure that he didn't beat them deep, which is what Belichick always tries to do. He doesn't want anybody, you know, getting the chunk plays or anything like that. So Gilmore was playing him kind of conservatively for his play style, but there was the first catch that McLaurin made was just a great one by him. Gilmore was in off yeah. coverage. McLaurin tried to double move. 
Gilmore was patient. He sat on it and then made a great break on the ball, got two hands in, but McLaurin kind of helped with his face mask, got two hands on it and brought it in. It was an impressive catch by him. The next reception that Gilmore gave up was really just, a, I think, a matter of him being in off coverage. It was, an, it was an out route, and it's kind of hard to defend those when you're defending over the top, and offenses know that. You know, you got to give something up if you're going to get something. And then the only catch that McLaurin made that I really thought was a flat-out win was with Gilmore actually in tight coverage, which he didn't play a lot. When Gilmore was in tight coverage, McLaurin really wasn't getting much separation, but it was a good route by McLaurin. Little post where he snapped it off really quickly, and it took a, it, Gilmore couldn't recover quite as fast just because of how great a route it was. Uh, but other than that, Gilmore is fantastic on McLaurin. I think he was getting some some uh, cr- uh, some flack during the game because it looked like he was struggling a little bit. But I think he he played his role to a T. As always, we get some listener questions. We got one from Dave Archibald, who is curious. Taylor, your impressions on Matt Lacoste as a blocker on Sunday? It seemed to David that he got a little little bit more run that he's been getting. So, what did you see from Lacoste? Right, I thought he had an up and down game, and I think the Patriots have done a really good job of especially in that game of using him to his strength. With his size, he's a good down blocker, which basically means when he has an angle on the guy, he's kind of blocking down instead of getting him mano a mano kind of head up as a blocker. So when he has an angle advantage or when he can kind of wham guys, I think that's where he's at his best, when he doesn't have to really hold the block on his own or from you know a head-up standpoint. But he had a couple really good blocks against Kerrigan, and I believe it was um, Preston, where he really did get into their pads and he held the block and he helped Sony get past. Um, so he's, he's better than I expected him to be, but at, at, um, as well at times um, he would fall off blocks and he doesn't always hold it where, as long as he needs to and guys kind of slip by him. But uh, he is exceeding my expectations relatively. I wasn't really high on him as a blocker um, in the offseason. I, I wasn't even sure he was going to make the roster because in Denver he really did struggle holding on to his blocks. But the Patriots know how to use him. They did a good job, and he performed well as a blocker for the most part against the Redskins. All the way from Italy, we have Mattia Rizzo weighing in. And Taylor, he wants to know about Ted Karras' performance at center for so far replacing Andrews, and if you've noticed any changes in the approach for the offensive line given the different skill sets of the different players that have worked their way into the lineup. Right. From what I've noticed, the way they use the offensive line is pretty similar. I'd say uh, there's definitely, obviously, there's a drop-off from David Andrews. He's one of the best centers in the game. If there's something I've noticed, it's a lot of the combo blocks where it seemed automatic with Shaq Mason and David Andrews. And those, when those two guys would get on a defensive lineman, they would erase them from the play. But what I'm seeing a lot is guys kind of flipping past those, flipping through those blocks and double teams and getting into the backfield. Sometimes Karras is having trouble holding his blocks on his own. And then um, against the Redskins, there were a few times where he had some mental mistakes where he overcommitted on some line games and let some guys free. I know on the uh, Winovich and I believe it was uh, Van Doy stack, he really overcommitted to the right, and it created a wide-open lane in the B-gap that, uh, that they exploited. So, oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm, I'm getting a couple plays mixed up. Sorry about that. But, um, yeah, no, but I think uh, Karras is having a little bit of trouble with the communication on, uh, on Sunday. Don't think it's going to be a long-term problem. It's something that he can work on. But uh, for the most part, I think he's held his ground pretty well. Definitely some things to work on, though. But he's got some good guys around him. Although I do think the supporting cast isn't really holding their own as much as they could be. Shaq Mason in particular, I've noticed, has been struggling where he seems automatic in the running game usually, and he's come a long way as a pass protector. But he's not really doing Karras a lot of favors either. So, I mean, there's other guys have to pick up the slack and help him out as well. Fantastic stuff, Taylor. Let me get you out of here on this one. we got a short week. Giants come into town on Thursday night. They're a bit banged up. They've struggled at times. Rookie quarterback in. What are your expectations for Thursday night? 
I'm not expecting Daniel Jones to do much, honestly. And it's not really so much him as it is that they may be missing Shepard, Ingram, Barkley, and that's a huge hit. Those are all the really good uh, playmake, playmakers on offense. And Daniel Jones, I think he's promising. I like that he's kind of balancing some doubters. You know, he's, he's a rookie, so he's not, you know, he's not lighting it up or anything, but he's showing some promise for sure. But that offense, I don't see them moving the ball at all against the Patriots defense. And in terms of the Giants defense, that defensive front is actually really solid. They've got Dexter Lawrence, the rookie, um, and a lot of other guys on that interior that are strong at the point of attack. They can push the pocket as well. But I think if they're going to attack anywhere on the Giants' defense, it's outside because the corners have really, really struggled. I think it could be a good day, a really good day for Edelman and Josh Gordon. Philip Dorsett, if he's active, but I'm hearing that that's probably not going to happen. And as well, and a notable statistic, Jabril Peppers has missed seven tackles on the season. He's a pretty solid safety for them, very versatile player, but that's a big problem. So maybe uh, get Sony some opportunities in the running game where he can kind of get the matchups against the safety. Um, try to exploit your bro peppers in that aspect. That's fantastic stuff there from Taylor Kyles. F- folks, please do follow Taylor on Twitter at T Kyles, T K Y L E S 3 9. That will do it for today. I will be back tomorrow and get Sco Show episode 26. We're going to talk a little bit about Daniel Jones and we're going to preview this Thursday night game. Patricia Trana from Locked on Giants will join me. So that's going to be the Wednesday show, episode 26. Until then, folks, please do keep on. Blessing that Patriots reign down in Foxborough.